When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the Footlocker's Club with Bryce, Michael, and Ivy. I know a story of high strangeness or two. <laughs> Let's do this. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bigfoot Collectors Club, the show where we talk to amazing guests about their personal paranormal history and share stories of high strangeness. I'm your host, Michael McMillan. With me always is your other host, Bryce Johnson, and, and our super producer, Riley Bray. The Banaka joke. You guys wondering what that sound was? You probably want to know about it, I'm assuming. I would like to know. I, yeah, go for it. My, Michael, any guesses? <laughs> I feel like you want to render a guess. I mean, I feel like you you've said been Banaka. Doing... Who runs around with Banaka? Come on, man. It's like I... 2004. First of all. Come on, this ain't 2004. This is Trader Joe's Rosewater Facial Toner. Ooh, and I love the stuff. Nice. Oh, that sounds I, nice. I actually, there's this window above my bathroom. And when I pee, I keep it right there. And when I pee, I go on my face so i'm like getting like this refreshing toner every time i urinate it's incredible <laughs> a piss in a mist it's bryce's yeah, piss in a mist. yes yes <laughs> this episode brought to you by bryce johnson's piss and mist available at walgreens and finer drugstores in your town that's right that's a merchandising opportunity right there we need to be thinking about these sort of things um, well we are yeah if uh any of you curious bigfoot hunters who try to tried this show out for the first time we're still with us here we are welcome to bigfoot collectors club um bcc jet ski summer guys it's zooming into the final few weeks summer uh officially comes to an end for us on september 7th that'll be the uh final episode of bcc jet ski summer and i gotta tell you i i need like I feel like I'm i'm out on the lake and mom is calling me into shore and i just want 30 more minutes Oh, right. No, Mm no. But isn't that the Uh, best time? The water's all glassy and you're just like reflecting on the the summer day that you've had. You know, you just got to savor these last little last little morsels. Yeah, I feel I always feel depressed because it's like it's sort of like Sunday afternoon. And I feel like, again, I'm 43 years old, but I feel like I got to go back to school. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that feeling does not go away. No, that's all good forever. things must come to an end, and that includes BCC Jet Ski Summer. Uh, well, it's been fun so far, but guys, let's not get too sad. We still have like three episodes left. It's going to be great. Yeah. It's going to be a blast. Um, it's just us today. We have no uh, amazing guests. We're hanging out with your BCC boys. We're catching up here in the clubhouse. Uh, we, now, we recently talked about the movie Nope over on our patreon pcc the other side uh so you can check that out if you want to listen to it we we all enjoyed it Uh, but i feel like there's some really good 
sci-fi and fantasy movies that are dropping right now. Some shows that are dropping as well. Um, Bryce, I feel like Predator is sort of woven into the fabric of BCC's DNA. Um, we talked about it early on. No in doubt our, it is. We talk about, you know, we compare Bigfoot's cloaking abilities to Predators yes. all the time. Yep, that's right. Yeah. So I got to ask you, it's been out for a few weeks by the time listeners hear this, but uh, it's recent for us. What, what did you think of Prey? I fucking loved Prey. I watched it twice, once with my daughter and then the next day with my son and his friend who had a sleepover. So, uh, yeah, and I enjoyed it both times, man. Predator, it's just, this is the, this is really the movie that Predator finally needed. You know what I mean? Strong female lead, great action, great. I love what they did with the new, uh, well, I guess the older Predator. It felt so, uh, just original in its own sense. That's what I love about the Predator. There's so many you know, great variations of that uh, alien hunter. Riley, did you watch it? No, not yet, but now I'm going to watch it tonight oh, after that. It's Bryce's great. Review. It's fantastic. They finally learned the lesson of just keep it simple. Just yeah. keep it. We don't need like super. I feel like for a while movies have got, especially these franchise films, they feel like they've got to go in and like retcon a story or add more mythology or add more backstory and right. you don't need it in a movie like Predator. You don't need it, and or a character like Predator, I guess yeah. I should say, because the movie's called. Just Prey. hit the notes exactly. This was great. Mm-hmm. It was like if you want to do something new, do what they did here. Make it a period piece, and then that's all. Like that's all you need. <laughs> like we get it. Well, Just and make add a cool, cool ass dog. Movie. That dog was so great, man. I was yeah, thinking the dog about that is dog really again. the star of that star of that movie yeah. for sure. I mean, or co star. I mean, because the lead uh what's her name i gotta look her i I forget her name but she's she's badass she's She's fantastic yeah awesome um yep love to pray and i'm waiting Uh, for that uh, also badass yeah um what did what did your son think about it because he's more scared of this stuff and it was pretty i mean it was pretty gory it's a pretty gory movie Oh, yeah. No, he loved it. He loved it. And we're waiting for the, you know, of course, the Neko Predator figure. We got to get one of those. So, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this. There's the two great franchises of like Alien and Predators, movies I grew up on in the 80s. They those characters, like you called them, were so well developed and have stood the test of time. Even today, they're re-releasing new Predator figurines and Xenomorph figurines. And I can't get enough of the stuff. Every time I see a new one, I'm like a kid in a candy store. I'm like, oh, that is so cool. Yeah, they're great. It's great. It's iconic. Just make them. You don't got to make it complicated. Just put these icons on screen and have them run around and try to kill each other. That's all we need. Yeah, um, I'm right. also really digging the Sandman. Uh, all of our club scouts should be watching it. Uh, the adaptation of Neil Gaiman's Vertigo comic from the late 80s and 90s. Uh, so good. Really, really. What does that mean? Good. So it has nothing to do with the, the Marvel character of Sandman or I'm, I'm confused. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Did you ask the right question? So, no, it has nothing to do with Spider-Man's rogues. Uh, Spider-Man's rogue Sandman has nothing to do with it. This is based. This is a, there was before there was a Spider-Man Sandman in DC comics. There was a pulp hero, kind of a detective who wore a gas mask called Sandman. 
And and Neil Gaiman basically came to meet with DC when they were starting their like gothier, older, older for, you know, more adult imprint called Vertigo. Vertigo is like where they printed they made like Preacher. The Preacher comic book was a Vertigo book. Sandman, um, uh, tons of stuff. But but basically Neil Gaiman came in and he was like, hey, you have this character called Sandman who has this gas mask and he's sort of this 1930s detective guy. Um, You're not doing anything with this property. What if I take this property, this IP and completely reinvent it? So he tosses out uh, the Wesley Dodds character, main character, and he creates this whole new mythology. And this Sandman is Morpheus, the King of Dreams. He's basically like, like basically when you dream the story is you go to another realm and he's the king of that realm he's the sandman that puts sand in your eyes you know and but which is which is a true thing people do talk about that in the lucid dream world that 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 there is a sentient consciousness uh inhabiting that dream space yes so this is all about all these all these alternate and parallel realms that we get into uh, there's a lot of that stuff, lots of occult cool. stuff, uh, occult magic, a fantasy. Uh, it's it's fallen angels. All that stuff is all in Killer. in this show. It's great. And the comic, it's like one of the famous comic series of all time, one of the best comic series of all time. And and if there's a real deep cut nerd listening, yes, I know that Wesley Dodds is still considered DC canon. So, you know, he didn't throw it out completely, but that's that's basically where the name comes from. But the name really works more as a title for the series and not got it. He doesn't really run around calling himself the Sandman. You know what I mean? I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay, cool. His I'm name check is it Dream. They call him Dream more than anything, but it's that that's concept cool of like it's you know, Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream. Yeah, it's sort of like based on that conceit. It's fucking Got great. It. It's really, really good. Everyone check it out. Uh, if you're into BCC, you'll dig it. All right. Um, we're gonna do some high strangers. We're gonna do some BCC news today, but before we get into it, let's do a little bit of quick, quick clubhouse keeping. Um, announcement, everybody. Announcement. If you shop through Amazon.com, and let's be honest, we all do, even though we do our best to support small businesses, um, there's now a way to feel a little less guilty about it. We set up an Amazon storefront where we have pre-selected a ton of books that we've discussed on the show, Uh, most of, if not all of the books on uh, the BCC book list that you can find in the show notes, stuff that's in print especially, Um, and we've thrown up some collectibles there as well. Um, Even if you don't want anything that we have recommended, if you click our link, our Amazon storefront link and do your regular shopping, a very small percent of your purchase will go back to support production of the show at zero cost to you. So uh, the Rosa Bone when you're shopping on Amazon and if there's stuff that we've talked about on the show that you want to check out a book, it's probably right up there. You won't have to look for it. It's it's listed there. Riley has even made a storefront featuring his ultimate podcast studio. Yeah, that's right. I've, I get messages qu- quite often from people asking about podcast production. Like, what, what gear do you use? And I'm also just like, as much as Michael is a nerd about comic books and, um, you know, Bryce is about action figures, I am about audio equipment. So um, finally, I have an outlet for this. 
which is this <laughs> um, Amazon storefront. So I've I've pre- I've selected like the a bunch of options of, for budget ranges of what I think is just the best gear if you're looking to record a podcast. I also selected a bunch of my favorite synths, um, and I, I'll continue growing that storefront over time. So if you're thinking about doing your own podcast, it's a really good place to start. I've uh, I did all the hard work for you of trying out all this equipment and reading all these reviews and things. So check it out. Guys, we're curating your life experience, okay? Go check it out. Mm-hmm. You can uh, get those links, uh, the Amazon links in the show notes of this episode, or any episode you're listening to, or in our link tree in our bio on Instagram at Bigfoot Collectors Club or on Twitter at Bigfoot Pod. So go go shop, everybody. Go get some good books and some good gear. And, I, you know, I actually have something important to say. If you're collecting Bigfoot Collectors Club merch like I am, then this is important for you because now you have only until... August 31st, that's one week, BCC listeners, until our Tee Public shop closes. That's right, closes for good. And many of our legacy merch designs, including this summer's tea, BCC Jet Ski Summer, that's going to go into our BCC vault, okay? So it's not going to be gone forever, but just for now. So if you've been holding out to pick up a T-shirt or a mug, grab it now. Because once August 31st comes to an end, so does this era of BCC merch. I love that we're like basically like the Batman 60s show now where it's like we have BCC jet skis that we park in the BCC vault uh, outside of the BCC clubhouse where we keep all of our BCC merch. Uh, We're world building. We're we're world building right now. We need BCC utility belts. Um, And I just want everybody to know we are going to continue to sell merch, but we're switching vendors. And while uh, we're very excited about what's coming up, many of our designs will be retired completely or they're going to be put away, like Bryce said, until a special occasion. So don't hesitate. If there's something that you want right now, go go grab it. Um, also, I don't know about you guys, sporting... but I'm going to buy a, a bunch of, of our merch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, know. I, I still haven't gotten the BCC on. Records uh, band shirts, and I haven't not either, all of those are going to be up up full time so um i got it there's stuff i gotta get guys we have to buy our own merch okay <laughs> this is one of the reasons that we're switching really vendors so sad. okay but i'm <laughs> gonna do why, it yeah this is why we need your support we're this this podcast <laughs> we don't get free merch. merch we have to buy our own t-shirts um it's true support the show uh do it by joining our patreon bcc the other side you know the deal you get three exclusive bonus episodes every month plus access to the entire Patreon archives and your $5 monthly pledge. It keeps us alive. If you're extra supportive and you want to throw in $9 a month, you'll unlock bonus music tracks by who else? Our dear Riley Bray. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's the ultra terrestrial tier. So check that out. Check it all out. Patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club. Uh, Riley, what's the fun way people can support the show? if, If you don't have five bucks. If you don't have nine bucks, we get it. Times are tough, but you can give us five stars and uh, you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if so, we might read it on the show like this one. YG Dirt. <laughs> I knew you were going to have a fun time reading that one. Yug Dirt <laughs> says. I feel like it's a license plate where right? I feel like I'm yeah. going to decode it. It's you're you're going to see dirt. Oh, <laughs> you're going to see dirt. Yeah, I thought that's it was like. Couldn't if you if it's a license plate, but you can't spell yogurt, so you yeah, just I've, get all the letters that are that available also. that sort of are rounding up to yogurt. Yogurt, yeah. Anyways, he says or she or they, normal dudes. These knuckleheads are pretty funny and entertaining. 
five stars. Nice. Thanks, Great. yogurt. Yogurt. That's we all you need it. to do. That's we love it. it. That's all you got to do, guys. Uh, and yeah, if you if you're not an Apple Podcast uh, subscriber, uh, follow us on whatever your favorite podcast app is, and give us a five star review there as well. We really appreciate it. Okay, guys, yes, let's get do. in. Let's get into the meat of this episode. Uh, Riley, get ready because it's time for some. Oh yeah, baby. Uh, all right. We're, we're nearing the end of August. It's time to catch up on some of the stories that have been happening in the world of high strangeness. And we got a couple actually, uh, one small fun story and then one kind of big UFO lore story. Um, Hmm. this first one comes from the Mansfield news journal out of Ohio. Uh, this article is called Bigfoot Howl. Loudonville woman convinced she recorded a Yeti. Uh, huh. The audio clip is going to be discussed during community town hall. This is from Zach Tuggle at the Mansfield News Journal. He writes, after several years with no trace of the creature, Suzanne Ferencak thinks Bigfoot has finally returned to Mohican, and she believes she has audio proof. This is the first time I've ever recorded howls, Ferencak said. The two-minute-long recording, which she shared with the news journal, was described by an analyst as having high potential for containing the sound of one Bigfoot attempting to locate another. The first howler has a brassy tone to its voice that can be indicative of a Sasquatch, the analyst wrote. There are a couple features in the execution, such as shifting to a double-A phoneme. Am I saying Hmm. that right, Riley? No idea. At the end... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just being honest <laughs> our audio expert i don't know what the fuck you're talking about i don't know what a double a phony is it says a double a phoneme f-o-n-e-m-e at the end of the call that are indicative as well most noticeable in the last two howls she plans hmm. to discuss her encounters during the bigfoot base camp weekend september 9th through 11th at pleasant hill lake park Ferencak said she has caught a glimpse of the bipedal brute when it jumped over a back road southeast of Loudonville in May of 2013. Her description of the seven and a half foot tall hairy beast matches those commonly used to depict creatures known as Sasquatch, Yeti, and Grassman. See, we're in Ohio, hmm. so they got to talk about yeah. the Grassman. She calls it Bigfoot. I have a lot of respect for these creatures, Ferencak said. Her rural home, about 1.3 miles outside of the Mohican River, was refuge before she realized it was also prime habit for Bigfoot. Her research culminated in a movie, The Back 80, which was released in 2017. For several years, there were knocks and howls around her home, sightings in the woods behind her property, and an experience on her porch so scary that it made her wanted to move away. Then all the activity stopped, Ferencak said. It was like, wow, where did it all go? To make sure she didn't miss documenting any potential encounter, she bought an audio recorder for her backyard. It's not Smart. very expensive. Yeah, not very expensive, Ferencak said. If I'm out, I always have a recorder going. I've been doing this for nine years. Her audio catalog now contains more than 20,000 hours of sounds from her backyard. And all that time, I had not recorded anything decent, 
But that all changed when the creature finally broke its silence on July 3rd. Now, I've gone through this article. I cannot figure out where we can listen to this audio well, I was going to say, yeah, I can't wait to hear this thing. Um, so uh, I can dig around uh, and try to find it. But um, I'm going to put this link in the show notes uh, so people can check it out. But I love the idea mm. that she's maybe captured two Bigfoot calling out to one another. I want to hope that she's holding that recording for that town hall meeting that was discussed. Like she's, it's like the exclusive drop. Yeah, like I'm just picturing that scene. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like a straight out of Twin Peaks. Like they're gonna, the whole town's gonna come together and she's gonna play this clip and they're all gonna discuss it. It's just like you just hear, woo, well, there's that you know, double those, a phone him there There's those yeah. those those town hall meetings is how they used to start finding bigfoot they would come into a new town and they would you know ask anybody and everybody to bring in their evidence um you know this sounds to me like one of those old and i guess relatively current habituation cases because in bigfoot lore you often get these they're called habituations in other words some old granny out in the middle of the woods is being visited on a regular by a tall hairy upright walking creature and usually it takes some apples leaves some sticks and some stones and but it always takes place over like a, a time of like months and researchers are always scratching their heads because they're like well judy if this thing's you know visiting your backyard every night why can't you get a damn good picture well the reason is is because these things are still if according to the habituation stories i've read is they're still leery of like getting pictures and they still are very like shy and reclusive but that's interesting that she's finally captured something that she might consider you know a good quality vocalization they're so strange these habituation cases because as soon as another researcher steps onto the property all the all the activity just stops yeah, it's crazy. Um, I love it. We got to get this lady on the show. That's what I think. We got to talk to her. Yeah. Let's get her to play it for us uh, on the show. Yeah. Um, I mean, Ohio's a a hot, Ohio is a hot spot. Cash. It is. For Bigfoot activity, man. Maybe, yeah, I would love uh, to take the Expedition maybe, Bigfoot team out that way. Maybe you should take your B BCC boys out that way. That'd be great. Let's you do it. You have two. By the way. You're like a Bigfoot bigamist. You have two Bigfoot families. And I got to say, you I have hang out three. a lot more I'm with on... your other one than us. <laughs> oh. I have, this is sad. I have three Bigfoot group texts. <laughs> and it's, it's three too many. Uh, I have the, all the crew and cast from Willow Creek, like me, Bobcat, and the Amy and Alexi, we all do one. And then you guys. And then, of course, there's the Expedition Bigfoot one. But it's, it's a lot of Bigfoot group texting going on at my house. Very little that of it's actually about Bigfoot, me. too. That's the thing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's move on to this next story. This is exciting. If you are a UFO uh, enthusiast, you're going to get you're going to dig this one. Um, now, the story is like mostly right now in the UK tabloid. So I am pulling from the sun, but I have seen it. Uh, I saw it today on Instagram. This story is actually like just broke as we're recording the show. So there is a very famous missing UFO photo called the Calvin photo or the Calvine mm. photo. Do you know about this photo? It's like a legendary UFO mm -hmm. picture, Bryce. No, I don't. Uh -uh. Well, you're going to learn about it because it's finally been located after like 30 some odd years. Um, so here we go. This story comes uh, to us from 
the the oh this is the u.s sun i didn't even know we had a u.s sun the truth is out world's best ever ufo image the calvine photo showing 100 foot craft finally revealed after being hidden for 30 years this is by henry holloway uh if you guys pull up this article take a look at this photo this will be up on instagram and in the show notes this is the infamous ufo photo dubbed by some as the world's best as it shows a huge diamond-shaped object pictured flying over the Scottish Highlands. The so-called Calvine photograph, which was for decades considered lost, has finally been uncovered after years of research by academic and journalist Dr. David Clark. Um, Showing what seems to be a huge angular object flying over the Scottish Highlands with what appears to be a Harrier jet in the distance, the image is an extraordinary piece of the UFO puzzle. It was taken around 9 p.m. on August 4th, 1990, by two hikers on a hillside near Calvine. Uh, Apologies if I keep mispronouncing this area. Calvin, just off the A9, some 35 miles northwest of Perth in Scotland. The men, whose identities remain unknown to this day, claim they watched a metallic object hovering with a low hum for about 10 minutes while fighter jets made passes in the distance. As they watched a jaw-dropping scene, the object, which is estimated to have been up to 100 foot long, then is said to have shot off at high speed straight up into the sky, never to be seen again. But luckily, they seemed to capture the moment on camera, snapping six photographs of the diamond-shaped craft with a fighter plane in the background. The photos were given to the Scottish Daily Record newspaper, who in turn passed them to the Ministry of Defense. But for unknown reasons, the story was never published, and the photos vanished into the black hole of Whitehall. And so began the modern myth of the Calvine photograph, with images never being seen by the public till now. I had seen... There are there's a recreation like someone made a digital recreation and I think one of the eyewitnesses had drawn what it looked like so we had an idea of what the picture looked like but we hadn't yeah. had the actual photo. Um God. Dr. Clark worked as a curator for the Ministry of Defense UFO Files projects at the National Archives. He's an associate professor of the Sheffield Hallam University. He managed to track down the photo by seeking out former Royal Air Force press officer Craig Lindsay. He had kept an, a copy of the original for- photograph uh, wow. as he was to go between who was liaising uh, between the press and the Ministry of Defense when the original story was probed in 1990. So this is great. This is like one of the classic UFO uh, photos. If you scroll down to that article, Bryce, you'll see a hand drawing um, mm, or a photocopy right. of this thing. And I've seen wow. this a lot. It's this black smudgy image. Um, it's cool. This is great. So we finally have the this photo that some people think is a, either an alien craft or some sort of high tech military weapon. But very, very cool stuff. Wow. I mean, cool I'm a photo. Up. It is amazing photo. I can't believe it. I mean, what I love about it is is it ha- this is like a UFO photo that has everything. It has other objects that are in the picture that you can compare the size of this thing to. Mm-hmm. That jet that's off in the distance. You have some uh, tree limbs in the foreground, so you can see. And you also have on the bottom of the picture this little barbed wire fence. So you have all these objects where you can, you know tell that nothing was faked or put imagery in there this is incredible yeah so cool that they found it this just goes to show you that like not everything disappears forever you know what i mean yeah Um, that does not i i doubt that is that is man-made military technology i mean i it's hard to say you have no idea but 
I mean, in 1990, that, and according to them, it's shot straight off into the sky. How many reports do you hear about that where somebody sees some anomalous object in the sky, like shoot off into outer space? If this did that, then this is not man-made. Yeah, pretty rad stuff. I love that we have it. Um, it's real. The photo's real. Because some people thought that maybe it was the just even the idea of the photo was a made-up story. So it's cool that wow. they tracked Love I it. like that this dude just had it the whole time. He's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no problem. I'm sure it was in some <laughs> file box somewhere. You know what I mean? That's the thing. It's yeah. like these, even these exciting things get lost. You know what I mean? And if you're like the guy on the job who's not an enthusiast about this stuff, you don't know where you put it. It just makes you also wonder, like, what other stuff is just sitting in some old dusty box somewhere? I mean, I was just going to say, kind of makes me want to go garage sale shopping, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you just refresh your face again with the rose water? Maybe. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it's time for this week's story of high strangeness. All right, everyone, get refreshed because it's time for this week's story of high strangeness. So, Jet Ski Summer has been wet. <laughs> Bryce's face is wet. Um, it's definitely been hot, Uh, very, very hot. Uh, but there haven't been a lot of aliens involved. And with August nearing its end, I felt like it was time to rectify that while digging around online for some UFO water stories. I came across some strange activity involving our neighbors to the North. Mm. Bryce already covered the Falcon Lake incident back in uh, episode. What's that number again? I forgot to look it up, Uh, but check out our Falcon Lake episode. That was early on. That was probably in the 20s, I think, or 30s. Yeah, that's Um, a if I remember it. Yeah, that's a that's a great case. Uh, I'm looking up which which episode it might be. BCC number 24. Wow. Way back then, the incident at Falcon Lake with Elizabeth Lane. Oh, fantastic guest. Fantastic episode. Um, Yes, it's one of Canada's famous UFO encounter stories. But I was delighted to find that Newfoundland has a pretty rich history of UFO sightings and one in particular that involves Project Blue Book, an Air Force officer and a pair of entities. This Pray do tell. This is the story of the drowned UFOs of Newfoundland. But first, a prologue. In the early morning of October 26, 1978, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police of Clarenville, a town located on the east coast of Newfoundland, got a call from a local resident reporting that a strange craft was hovering in the night skies over the coast. Constable James Blackwood drove across town to locate the resident who was standing on the side of the road with a pair of binoculars. Blackwood had arrived just in time. The craft in question was about a mile and a half away at about 2,000 feet in altitude and moving from west to east in the night sky. Despite the object's oval-like appearance, Blackwood thought the resident could simply be mistaking an airplane uh, for something far more mysterious. But when he viewed the object through the pair of binoculars, he discovered that the object had strange blue flashing lights. Blackwood drove back to the detachment office where he grabbed a telescope with a zoom lens. 
He returned to where the resident was and found that the craft was just now hovering in place. At a press conference he attended later, Blackwood did his best to describe what it was that he observed through the telescope. At this time, I noticed distinctly that the blue flashing lights were on each side of the object, and there was one red one on top, and it appeared to be uh, in the middle of the object itself. It was a clear night, and astonished by the sight of the unidentifiable, unidentifiable, well, you know what I'm saying, Blackwood zoomed in for a closer look until it filled the eye of the lens. There were no windows, no doors, but it seemed obviously metallic in nature, made of a dense, dull gray metal, Blackwood judged, with no markings. And there was a dovetail on one end of the craft uh, that sort of went up into, uh, gave it a little bit of a spoiler tail, and a light source along the bottom. Blackwood said, The bottom half of the object was completely illuminated by some sort of light. Now, I, I don't, I, I couldn't see where the light was coming from. It didn't seem to be like a reflection. It seemed to be like a source of light. Now, the, the blue light in question was flashing very rapidly, very, very rapidly. The fastest flashing light I've ever seen on any police vehicle or aircraft. And the vehicle, the, the object, turned around and it also had a blue light on the other side as well. And it too was flashing at a very rapid speed. Blackwood turned his attention to the red flashing light in the middle, which he zoomed in on, and discovered a white light paired with the red light flashing together. According hmm. to the resident eyewitnesses who phoned, R who phoned the RSM or RCMP, this was the second time that they'd seen the object in the area within a week. And when it appeared this time, uh, the resident decided it was time to call the authorities. Blackwood watched this craft hover there for over an hour and a half without moving. And at one point, uh, I saw in one article, he flashed his headlights of the patrol car at the object and the object flashed his lights back. Not a good idea, unless you want to get abducted. <laughs> uh, and then it began to move side to side and up and down. And then it departed. At first, it started moving very slowly, and then it started accelerating to the speed of a jet. And then uh, as it was moving away, Blackwood was able to drive back to the detachment office. I'm assuming Clarenville is a small town where he set up the scope there and watched a craft leave Clarenville, finally making its exit by suddenly vanishing. Weird. This event, now known as the Clarenville UFO incident, has embedded itself in the local folklore. Blackwood has become a bit of a folk hero, the humble police constable who saw a UFO. Uh, I think they just even recently made a coin commemorating this story. Really? Yeah. See, um, those, those Canadians do it right, man. They're they not do. afraid to put a guy, no. uh, a, a Mountie, on a coin because he saw a UFO. I love that. God bless no. you. America's hat, people. Canada. Yeah, I to be fair, I think <laughs> they put the UFO on the coin, not him, but, <laughs> but um, they should have. I mean, this is cool. There's a really great old school press conference video that I'm going to put the link to where you can watch this guy in 1978 calmly describe this encounter and it's so cool because he you know he starts to refer to it as a vehicle and then he corrects himself and says object and by the end of the 17 minute press conference he's like it's a vehicle you know what i mean he's just like oh that's kind of cool. gives gives up the goose and it's just like you know 
Um, so uh, the uh, the event, like I said, is now called the Clarenville UFO incident. Uh, Blackwood himself said that that most people at the time didn't believe this kind of mumbo jumbo. Like Clarenville Canadians were pretty like, yeah, we don't believe in UFOs. We don't believe in ghosts. We don't believe in this stuff. But his close encounter while leaving him without explanation or a, a solid conclusion as to what he saw, it, it he said that it left him thinking differently on it. Uh, and it sounds like it was enough to make a skeptic into a believer. Yep, that's all it takes is until you see one for yourself. And I like this guy because he doesn't go, it was definitely an alien spacecraft, but he's like, I don't know what the fuck this thing was. Right. And he just seems super calm and reasonable. And you know, you believe this story is so believable. So the citizens of Newfoundland might have been surprised to hear that there was another event some 20 years prior to the Clarenville incident that they had not heard about. And if they had, it might have made them reframe this type of mumbo jumbo. But they didn't hear about it because it was kept secret. And the man who kept a lid on it finally spoke up in 2013. The story of the drowned UFOs of Newfoundland comes from a man named Richard French, a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force and a former F-100 fighter pilot in Korea and Vietnam. In the early 1950s, French was allegedly working as a lead investigator for Project Blue Book, which at the time was the public-facing investigation into UFOs conducted by the U.S. government, although we now know it was not quite uh, as serious of an endeavor to identify the origins of flying saucers as they made it out to be. Uh, it was Richard French's duty to debunk and explain away these sightings. But there was one case that was pretty impossible to explain away, so he left out a lot of the pertinent details or as French told HuffPost in 2017, I weasel worded it. <laughs> weasel. That, that's the first time I've heard the term weasel worded, and I, yeah. I like it. So what exactly happened in Newfoundland in the early 50s? In 2013, a former FAA official and private commercial and military pilots got together with former congressmen at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., to hold a mock congressional committee to discuss and disclose some of the strange, unidentified aerial phenomena that they had witnessed and bring the ongoing subject of UFO disclosure to the public in an event they called the Citizen Hearing on Disclosure. Bryce, does mm. this ring a bell at all? Do you remember this from about yeah. 10 years ago? Yeah, of course. This is basically what uh, Dr. Stephen M. Greer did. He held a uh, sort of a, uh, a mock Senate trial discussing, uh, you know, the military's involvement and, and, and bringing forth witnesses from the military establishment about UFOs and their experiences. It was a big hubbub. Yeah, this was also involved a lot of like commercial pilots as well. And they were just telling they were like, we saw this weird thing. We saw this weird thing. We saw this weird thing. Um, you know, and all these guys seem to be like full on believers. Their experiences made them believers. Um, and this was like, you know, they're from the old school version of like, there's no way to report this. Or if you did, you'd be mocked or they'd shut it down quickly and well, tell yeah, you not to right. talk about it. That's right. I and think it's easy to say 
Uh, I was just going to say, I think it's pretty easy to say, you know, you're bringing forth witnesses with military witnesses, but you're right. They, it, you know, that's easy to say, but it's a lot to put that on the line and like go forth and, and you know, put your career and your reputation on the line, which is very important to, to, in the military establishment to say you saw a UFO. So it, that takes a lot of guts to do that. Yeah. Um, and of course, not saying that they didn't have guts, I'm sure they do. But, you know, this is also they're like retired at this point. And especially in the case of Lieutenant Colonel French, like he's an old man, like a really yeah. old man at this point in 2013 and has no fucks left to give. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? I love he's that. Just like, yeah, totally. He doesn't care anymore. He's kind of on his way out and he's just like, I'm going to tell everybody what I was really <laughs> doing during Project Blue Book. Um and at the citizen hearing on disclosure, French told the committee that he had uh, he'd been a witness to multiple UFO sightings, but one in particular stood out in the forefront of his mind. In the early 50s, he was stationed in Germany when he got a call from an OSI director telling him that he needed to fly out to Newfoundland to investigate a report of two submerged UFOs in the waters off the coast of Newfoundland. French recalled the memory to HuffPost in 2017. Yeah, well, I remember that. Oh, yeah. They said, we have a UFO report and we want you to investigate it. And that, that was standard for what I was doing. They told me there were two of them involved and that they were deep underwater after entering the water doing, I don't know, roughly 100 miles an hour. In his testimony, French said that he had taken, was taken to a wharf where a large crowd had gathered, including some police officers and divers in the water. The water was crystal clear, which allowed French to observe what appeared to be two submerged flying saucers about 18 feet in diameter and three feet thick, 20 feet below the water's surface. And not only that, but the occupants of the ships were swimming about. Here's a direct quote from his testimony. What I saw down there were two UFOs parked side by side, but I couldn't see anyone around either one of them. And a little later, someone moved, one of the UFO occupants, and I guess, you know, go ahead and call them what they are, the alien moved over to the side and came into my line of sight. Crystal clear the water that day, crystal clear. Sidebar, I can't remember now. I'm, I'm questioning when I wrote 20 feet or 200 feet below the water. I guess it really doesn't matter. They could see everything. It doesn't matter to at. me. I can doesn't see matter. both just as clear. Yeah. 20 feet, exactly. 200, 2,000. <laughs> French expounded on this moment to uh, HuffPost. It was apparent to me that they were doing something to the craft, and I couldn't really tell what it was because they were on the bottom side of it and not visible to me, except when they would occasionally get over to the side where I could see them. The water was, like I said, really clear and I could see without any trouble. They weren't down at the bottom of the seabed. They were about halfway down. And he describes these creatures as being classic alien greys, thin bodies, long limbs, big slanted black eyes, and with heads that the top of the head was much wider than the chin. So all intents and purposes, there's a crowd of people watching two alien greys work on these submerged UFOs. Yeah, let's maybe they made the out. crowd step back, and he's just looking at this. I don't know. I there seems <laughs> like there are yeah, seems like there are a lot of eyewitnesses. 
After making some repairs, one of the beings entered the craft and lifted up out of the water at about 100 miles per hour and then quickly accelerated to speeds of upward 2,500 miles per hour and went out of sight. French explained to the committee, <laughs> He was gone for about 15 or 20 minutes, and then he came right back, slowed down, and went into the water again at about 100 miles per hour. He and the other one, you could see him working on the UFOs. And after about two hours of working on apparent maintenance on the UFOs, the two of them then took off together again, going virtually straight up and disappearing. As for his report, well, French told HuffPost, Needless to say, it was a fictitious report, as all of them were. I didn't really say that they were UFOs, okay? I said that there was something we didn't know, some type of foreign or unrecognizable vehicle there. In other words, I weasel-worded it. I think without a doubt it was a UFO. You're goddamn right it was, and I think there were aliens aboard it. No question. In my mind, that's exactly what it was, and it's my duty to debunk the story, so I did my best to do so, but I'm telling you now, it was real. No, no, Mr. French, we, we we need you to calm down now. Anytime, God damn it! I always join a, uh, enjoy a character who uh, says that's right to something they just said. That's right. <laughs> that's what I do. Yeah, you do that sometimes in your stories of high strangeness, Bryce. Um, he right. told the committee that that he'd seen numerous UFOs fly in and out of volcanoes and that he doesn't know why the aliens are here or what they are doing exactly, but he's come to the conclusion that they are here to protect the Earth. And that is the story of the drowned UFOs of Newfoundland and a little bit history of flying saucers in uh, Canada's waters. Man. Well... Michael, great job, dude. I'm blown away by this story. I can't believe I've never heard of this. Never this heard is of wild. it. I had never heard of it. Um, there's really just not a lot out there other than my two main sources were this HuffPost article and then watching again, there's footage of this entire conference. Um, mm. it's like an hour and a half if you want to sit through it. Um, he's the oldest guy at the table. So if you want to skip through when you see the very old man talking, that's Lieutenant Colonel Richard French. <laughs> Um, but I'll, I'll put all the links to this stuff if people want to check it out. There's some great other eyewitness stories that are pretty compelling in that. Um, I mean, look at, look at all this. The, here's, conference. here's what sticks out to, here's what sticks out to me about this stuff. When you have, you know, John Tenney talked about it, right? Like these things could be coming from our oceans. We have, we have, you know, explored more of the surface area of the moon than we have the surface area of the floors of our ocean. This earth contains so much mystery. If the, I wouldn't surprise me one bit if these things are flying in and out of the ocean. I love this report. And I also picked up on that maintenance again. Here we have these little alien creatures or beings working on their craft. Why are they always fucking working on their craft? If they travel here from, you know, zippity doodah, 200 million light years away, they, they, they always seem to like have technical troubles when they land on earth and they need water or WD-40 or something. But uh, it's, it's, it's a strange part of the mystery. Um, what do you guys think? 
What if UFOs are like like on Earth are like of the alien world? It's like the classic car enthusiasts, you know? Like these are just like the, the, right. the yeah. rockability and, of interterrestrials. Yeah, our planet yeah. is just their big big boy burgers. Like Route where they, 66. Like, yeah, yeah we're like Route where they come to park and show off their cars. Super kitschy. Like you guys will love it. There's diners everywhere. Like we'll just go and just wrench on our UFOs and. So basically, yeah. Earth is a Bob's Big Boy. Yeah, yes, it's a yes, Bob's Big Boy parking lot where they equivalent. get to show each other their their cars. <laughs> exactly what it is. Yeah, I have so many questions from the story. One being, um, why are there no photos of this? If he's just like watching aliens work on a craft, like, well, because it's how is there no further documentation? Like, I mean, there could have been, but. You know, he handed all that stuff over to the government, and it would have been. Oh, it's like the Clovine photograph, and maybe it'll turn up someday. You know, also, uh, yeah, Calvine, so. yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those Project Blue books, so it's like the gatekeepers are the government, so they're not handing this stuff over to anybody, right? It's not. Right. I don't know why. I mean, I do agree that like, if there was a crowd of people watching UFOs shoot in and out of the water, that someone there might remember this story you know this right. is only 1952 so some of that stuff feels a little fishy to me but i don't i don't know you listen to this guy doesn't seem he has any reason to make this stuff up mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean i'm very um, also curious how he came to the conclusion that they're here to protect the earth like well i, I think that like, was yeah, just like, his he says in the conference he's like he's like if they're coming in and out of volcanoes and they're not messing with us really you know he was like that was just sort of his speculation he was like i Mm. think they gotta be here because they care about earth and they're protecting earth you know what i mean that's kind of what he decided can you imagine at the end of his testimony he's like well from what they tell me they're here to protect us (laughs) (laughs) wait uh, i'm sorry mr french what? what they tell yeah they communicate with me telepathically while i'm using the restroom Anyway, yeah, like well, I said, <laughs> he also says that uh, the Roswell, the Roswell crash involved two crafts, not yeah, not just one. So, which we that's talked true. about a that's little good. bit. That's good. That checks out. The, yeah, yeah. Um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting story. It's really cool. It's a great visual. I love the idea of these like little alien greys scuba diving with their ships underwater. Yeah, fixing cool. them and testing them out and coming back clearly not giving a fuck if anyone's watching them or not um don't know if it's true uh love the story regardless um yeah a fun, that was my other fun, question though are the aliens yeah. like could they breathe underwater Do they have little scuba gear on like are we assuming well, the, the 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 beings themselves are in suits and we're going with that explanation mm, or good question. Well, yeah. any? here's the thing don't you recall that uh in the autopsies of some of these bodies in Roswell, they said they had webbed hands uh, yeah. and they <laughs> have pocket mouths. It's possible if these things are some sort of bioengineered entity, then they may not have to breathe regardless. So they could, they could be underwater swimming around. Yeah. If you're going to oh, okay. make a cool toy, Riley, you want it to be able to work it in the bathtub. You want to yeah. be able totally. to go underwater. That's a very good point. Yeah. yeah. So maybe, and if these ships are designed to come to earth, and swim around then you want to engine bioengineer the pilot so they don't they don't have to they won't drown you know i think we solved it here guys yeah underwater they're aquatic or they're like fish people maybe they're fish people from earth maybe they're terrans 
Yeah, that dude. Yeah. I think, I, okay, you know, there's got, I think there's more to this idea of these things coming from the ocean. It just, it's starting to make more sense, or at least they're from somewhere else, but they're operating uh, from the depths of the ocean floor because, you know, why wouldn't you? It, it makes so it's much sense. It's the best sense. place to hide. Yeah. It's true. That checks out. If you're ever in a high stakes game of hide and seek, go to the ocean. It's the best place to hide. <laughs> it's, it's super easy, too. <laughs> um. All right, everybody. That wraps up another episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club. Uh, don't forget merch. You got one week left to get your stuff from the T Public Shop. So do that. Uh, plug, plug, plug. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Bigfoot Collectors Club on Twitter at Bigfoot Pod. Uh, check out my other show, Slate Your Name. Season one is available now wherever you get podcasts. I talk to actors about how fun and 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 trying it can be to work in Hollywood. Uh, Bryce Riley, got anything to plug? I can just point everyone to a music video I directed recently. Well, absolutely. Uh, a band is called Pom Poms, and I also play drums in that band, which is a lot of fun. And the video is uh, for the song Stoned and Lonely, so uh, maybe some of you can relate to that. I don't know, but there's an alien playing a guitar in it, so you might like it. I don't know. Check it out. Stoned and Lonely by Pom Poms. Love it. I love also it. love that the podcast is influencing your directorial decisions. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And hey, if you're a fan of horror movies, check out Allegoria, available uh, on demand and wherever you get it. Also on free on Shutter. Check it out. Directed by past guests Spider One and Chrissy Fox, uh, who also stars in it alongside me. If you like horror, uh, this is a great place to start. Great, I love it. All right, everybody, we'll see you next week. Until then, good night. I'm not gonna weasel word it. Go get regressed. Bigfoot Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray and Michael McMillan and scored and engineered by Riley Bray. Our theme song, Come Alone, is by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. Do us a favor and support the show and unlock three bonus episodes every month by becoming a member of our Patreon, BCC The Other Side, which can be found at patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible. And if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. 
Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts.